There's a lot of interesting research that should, looks at how meditation changes the brain. More broad. I'm going to sneeze. No, I'm not. <laughs> so maybe I'll start there. One of the things we know about anything that changes the brain is that they, when you ask the brain to do a specific skill or a certain state, be in a certain state, it's easier for the brain to do that the next time. The starting point for this would be to ask, what is it that people are doing when they're meditating and what specific systems do the brain strengthen or change? Well, some people have been looking at it at UCLA for a while and it's been bringing meditators into a lab and took a look at how the brains, the meditators, differed from the non-meditators. They eventually looked at a very broad range of meditation styles from Buddhist meditation to yoga meditation and more secular mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques that are taught. And what they found, independent of what mode of meditation style they were using, there was very consistent changes in the brain that were associated with the practice time, the amount one regularly practiced meditation, as well as how many years people have been practicing. So I'll just highlight some of these changes that I think are most interesting. One paper that was just published present, presented a new finding showing regular meditators have increased density of the area of the brain called the hippocampus that regulates stress responses. This finding is really consistent with a broad range of research from the UCLA and other laboratories that have found but this is something you can consistently see amongst people who meditate. Their brains get better at regulating stress. You see that in the hippocampus, which is the area of the brain that is also associated with memory. But it is important for helping the body to learn from stressful experiences and shut down the stress response after a traumatic experience or experience of anxiety or fear. Other research has shown the hippocampus tends to get bigger and well-connected among people who regulate meditate. You can see these changes in other systems in the brain associated with stress resilience and stress recovery. Another other area of the brain that is influenced by almost any type of meditation is the brainstem, which is the very base of the brain. Areas of this brain that regulate what's happening with the autonomic nervous system. This shouldn't be surprising to anyone who's ever practiced meditation or done yoga, that there is a calming effect to these practices. It appears that whatever psychologically st psychological state of meditators are able to attain in their practice, it's actually teaching the brain how to be in a state a little more often and return to that state if you're being pulled out of it or into the flight or spike, fight or flight response or into anxiety or some other autonomic state that's less balanced. Basically, the more you practice, the more you become resilient. We see those changes in the brain that support this. They create a space for you to feel calmer, and when knocked off, come back to that calm. Another area of the brain that seems influenced by meditation is the prefrontal cortex right behind your forehead, which is the area of the brain we tend to most associate with willpower, and that's an idea you asked about. In the beginning of this, we're talking about how willpower and meditation are brought together. The prefrontal cortex is really important for decision making. It 
for awareness and for controlling impulses that sometimes lead us away from our goals. Things like regulating emotions, regulating distractions, and being able to make good intentional shortages. That's the job of the prefrontal cortex. It seems that this part of the brain is also bigger and better connected by pretty much any form of meditation, which makes a lot of sense. If you think about what you do in any form of meditation, you're really choosing to focus your attention and your learning to regulate your, all of the distractions that come up and try and pull you away from that meditation focus, whether it be thoughts or body sensations or emotions. Research from different laboratories has shown that meditation practice increases density of grey matter and white matter in the prefrontal cortex. You can think of that density or increased density like being a muscle. It gets beefed up so that it can do things more easily, even hard things more easily. That build-up of white matter and brain cells are better to communicate with each other, and they communicate faster and with higher integrity. Higher integrity. And that means that the change of practice of meditation comes from building these connections. By the way, this finding, looking into the changes in the prefrontal cortex, has not come up from studies comparing meditators to me, not just come from studies comparing meditators to non-meditators. This also comes from research where they've taken people that have never meditated before and taught them some meditation and mind-body techniques. And so the evidence is that these changes don't take decades to develop. These changes can be seen in people who are randomly assigned meditation. I wanted to mention a fascinating finding that is newer, coming out of the research, looking at the prefrontal cortex. This study found that people who regularly meditate, the part of the brain that connects the two sides of the prefrontal cortex is thicker and has more connectivity. What's really important when it comes to willpower is that when we talk about the neuroscience of willpower, I often break it down to three stages, three corresponding brain regions. You have your right side, prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for what I call the I won't power. This is the ability to stop yourself doing something like eating a piece of cake or smoking a cigarette or depending on spending money or saying something that you'll regret. You need that right side of the prefrontal cortex to slow you down and stop you. You also need the left side of the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for the I will power. This is the ability to approach motivation and find it. It's the part of you that says, I will exercise and I will keep going even though it's uncomfortable and I'm tired and I can't be bothered and I don't want to. It's the part of you that says, I will do this even though it makes me anxious and I'd rather avoid it, the conflict, or I have some self-doubt. It's the left side of the prefrontal cortex that gives you the I will do it. Then the third strength of willpower that I call the I want power. This is primarily the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which is the right underneath and behind the left and right sides of the prefrontal cortex. This part of the brain is bigger in meditators and is part that allows the structures of the prefrontal cortex to communicate better with each other. You can imagine how helpful it would be to be for willpower in the real world when you're able to remember what you want and what you care about. This is the I want power. It is capable of communicating with the part of your brain that stops you from doing something, 
that's inconsistent with your goal and motivates you to do something that is consistent with your goal. This part of the corpus callosum that connects the different parts of the prefrontal cortex is denser and better connected in meditators. That's a really exciting finding when you think that having a better integrated brain, not just a bigger one, makes it all easier. We're both increasing connections and making those connections have lots of integrity. The white matter is the lining of the brain cells and it's actually sending the information from one brain cell to the other. The density is what you think of as the number of connections you have. We're increasing both. The resilience, stress resilience, regulation. There's another solid finding that has to do with a part of the brain called the insula, which is a little bit more interior to the both sides of the brain. The insula is a little bit back from a little bit from the cortex and a little bit back from the frontal cortex. This is the part of the brain I'm in love with. It produces both suffering and positive aspects of compassion and social connection. This part of the brain is an incredible paradox. If you look at suffering, the part of the brain that allows you to make most useful information, physical information you get from your emotions. You know how your heart rate is speeding up. Well, this means you might be anxious. Or maybe you feel a heaviness in your heart and your stomach. This helps you know that you're feeling grief or sadness. The insula is involved in all of these things. Why would you want cravings or suffering? I wouldn't want any of that. Maybe meditation would make this part of the brain smaller, but actually meditation makes us bigger and better connected to all the other systems. Those changes of bigger and better connections as well as increased use of insula are associated with being positive, really positive outcomes. There is one study that looked at people who are clinically depressed. When they went through meditation meditation practice and found that the improvements in depression were predicted by the degree to which the insula were more activated when they were asked to experience sadness. Experience sadness. So the more they were turning up the part of the brain that feels physicality of sadness and their own suffering, the less depressed they were at the end of the day. They have found findings like this that increased access to your insula and the physical embodiment of emotions, including your own suffering, is really important predictor of recovering from conditions like physical pain, depression and anxiety. So what I'm basically saying is that out of every experience, the more that we are willing to be in it more presently, more fully, more completely, the more likely we are to be able to give ourselves a chance to experience a more direct and beautiful world around us because it is in our fear of connecting to each other or deepening the sadness that we cut ourselves off from what will help us. When we don't know what to do with our emotions, the best we can do is feel them. 
to rest in them, to not push them away. You're taking a moment just to contemplate this. You have a powerful brain that only works to help you connect to those around you, to yourself. And the great calm in all situations, if you allow it. If you allow yourself to feel the bubbling up of sadness, if you allow yourself to cry at the silly movie, the more willing you are to contact the full range, be them good, bad, ugly emotions, without judgment and just acceptance, the deeper the realm of possibilities for joy and happiness to arrive. The deeper the chance to build that I will power, I won't power, and I want. Keep building these brain connections. And we'll see you soon. Have a wonderful sparkly day.